Again to the Perimeter Church podcast. Medieval cities used to give keys to their monarchs to show their submission. The king didn't have to invade the city, but was willingly invited in. In a twist, the king of heaven gave his keys to the apostles, to humanity, as God invites us into his city. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us part two of the church, your church, and you which covers Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Thank you for joining us today. Last week we began a new series. If you're new with us, welcome, and I can catch you up fairly quickly to this new series. The series is entitled, The Church, Your Church, and You. We're doing this a little differently than usually the teaching would be given. Doing it in two mini messages, two smaller messages uh, divided. And so you'll see how that plays out in the uh, service today. The the idea of what I'm trying to accomplish here really has several objectives. And that's what's unique because usually I have one objective and I'm trying to focus on the one. Now I've got three objectives. And so in the first mini message... I deal with the objective of hopefully instilling in you a higher view of the church. It'll be a time of instruction. So objective number one, a higher view of the church. Number two, I'm trying to help you develop a life plan. So this is going to be more of an equipping time. Not only will it be a life plan opportunity, but for you that have families, if you choose, you can do the very same exercise and do it with the family as opposed to the individual. And I'm walking you through how to do that. So that'll be the beginning of our second segment of the messages. The third objective is to give you a better understanding of your church. And that's why we entitle this The Church, Your Church, and you. So we really have three different things we're doing. The first part, instructing in the first, and then moving into the equipping time and hopefully enlightening you to your church. I encourage you to get the podcast if you're missing any of these five weeks. I encourage you to get the materials that are being made available. I have a, uh, a little booklet called The Pursuit of a Life Plan. I'm working through this with you week to week here. You can pick these up on any of the counters as you leave the church. You'll see wherever there are book packs to pick up, you can pick up one of these, as well as a ministry plan, a one-page ministry plan that will be there with it. So I'll be referring to that later on, but know that's available to you. You can get any of the resources that we're using here at perimeter.org slash pope. So feel free to go there as well. Now let's first talk about the church. The church at large, God's people, the church. Last week, we began by suggesting that everybody, everybody has a world and life view. That means we have a perspective about the world in which we live and the life we live in it. That is shaped primarily by three different perspectives. What is our view of God? What is our view of self and what is our view of the world in which we live? 
We may have an unbiblical view of those three, or we could have a biblical view. We began to hone into the world, and we said, of those three, let's look at the world. If we have a biblical view of the world, we understand that the world has two kingdoms. The first kingdom is called the kingdom of the world, and that is, that is under the dominion of the evil one himself, according to the scriptures. The second of those two kingdoms is called the kingdom of God, often called the kingdom of heaven. That is the reign of God over his people. So within his kingdom, the kingdom of God, only Christians reside. Now, the odd thing is we as Christians have to live in that world. And so we are given a task at hand. And the task that we've been given is to say, okay, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Now you're to go in and to, in a sense, do battle with the kingdom of the world. We're going to look at a text in Matthew 16 that says that God is going to give us the ability as the church to be able to hammer in at the gates of Hades, that's the kingdom of the world, and to actually prevail in that effort. So here we are as Christians. As Christians, we're to go where we live, where we work, and where we play, and we go in as the Bible says, aliens, strangers, pilgrims, he also says we have a citizenship in heaven, and therefore when we come to this role on earth, we are his ambassadors. So we've got some people that say, oh, I'm a Christian, and I, I go to a church, I belong to a church, and, and I have good morals, and I try to believe what the Bible has to say. But if you ask that person, are they on a mission every day as ambassadors from another kingdom, the kingdom of heaven? Coming into the kingdom of world with the idea of bringing restoration and healing and redemption and all the things that we can bring as Christians. That's a big, that's a big question. Are, are, we, are we just Christians or are we ambassadors as followers moving in with the mission at hand? I suggested to you that unfortunately, much of the church of today has seen the church, the people of the church, has seen the church as a commissary. It's a place where we go in and, and, and we really are basically purchasers of, of goods. And so I can go to this church and I find they're good at this and I'll get a little of that. And this church has got a little of this and I can go here and get that. And so it, it's kind of, I, I get what I want in, in church. As opposed to the mindset that we're going into this church because it is a place to get resources, to get protection, in this fight, it's a place where we can get equipped with everything we need to be the ambassadors that God has called us to be. Now, what I'm encouraging is all of us at Perimeter, our people, let's see ourselves as we are. As Christians, we are ambassadors, aliens, strangers, pilgrims. Let's go into that world. Now, as such, if we are ambassadors, now, there are some resources that are out there that become very, very important to us. One resource is the Holy Spirit. And those of us that are in a mission say, God, I've got to have you every single moment. Your spirit indwells me and I need. I'm telling you, even this day, 
I've crossed lines that I shouldn't cross. I've thought things I shouldn't think. I've said things I shouldn't have said. And I have sat here and said, God, forgive me. I need to restore. I need the power. I just, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't rely on your power. And I've got to have your power now. Well, that's a resource to me. And I can be forgiven and I can be restored and can be strengthened. But I also need to know that I've got the resource of spiritual gifts. And the spiritual gifts that he gives are very important. We did a whole series on spiritual gifts. Because I want everybody to understand that God-given ability that we have. To some way enhance his kingdom on this earth. As we do warfare in the kingdom of the war world. But there's a third important resource, and that is the church. And I fear that so many Christians today, true Christians, are not relying on the three resources. We rarely think of the Holy Spirit within us. We rarely even consider what our spiritual gifts are. And we take the church so for granted. It's a place to go and to get and to do and to have, but not what it really is to resources. So one of the things I want to do is I want to raise the view of the church. That's why I'm teaching on it. Now, I suggested last week that maybe one of the greatest problems facing us as a church today is the individualism that marks our culture. And I trace through where it's come from. Here we are, a people as Christians who often think of ourselves, as most of us do, as, as just individuals. Well, that's not the way God intended uh, his kingdom to work. His kingdom is the church. And so there's no individualism in it. It's, it's, It's a body. It's a family. And so we begin to understand, all right, how does that family take shape? I suggested to you that the greatest counterforce to individualism is what's called accountable relationships. And that every one of us need accountable relationships. Let me ask you the question for you just to self-answer. Who would your accountable relationships be? Not who are your relationships, but to whom would you say, I feel I have an accountable relationship. And I bet many of us honestly would say, I don't even think of an accountable relationship that I have. That means we're in trouble. And that's why we want to overcome that. I made a second statement, and that is that accountable relationships require a recognized authority. This is key, a recognized authority. There's no accountability without authority. So who is the authority? I'm going to suggest to you that God's word makes it very clear that he has given us several authorities that hold us accountable One is the family. We did a family series recently because I think it's so vitally important to understand that. But the other is the church. It is the church. When we think of church, we rarely think of accountability. Wait, accountability in what way? That's my job to teach you. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter. And we're going to begin with the 13th verse. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Now, the first few verses through 17 will be very simple, easy to understand. However, when we come to the, when we come to the next verses, it's going to be a little bit more challenging. So let's look at this. It says, 
Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Okay, we read that much and say, I think I get that. I think I understand what he's saying here. But listen to these next verses. I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, key word, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, there's the kingdom of the world, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, I want to give you a definition of the keys to the kingdom because we can't understand this text at all unless we understand what the keys are. The keys of the kingdom are the emblematic, meaning representative, of the authority given to the church to determine the proper standards of biblical faith and practice and to carry out the biblical discipline that's necessary. So here is the role of the keys. The keys are simply referring to authority. If we think of the keys as they are, to put it very simply, keys are the authority given to the leadership of the church to do what keys do. What do they do? They lock in order to keep out. They unlock in order to bring in. But they also unlock so as to let those who are in that need to be put out to be placed out. That's the authority given to the church. Well, what do you mean to let in and to let out? You mean to come to church? No, 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 no. To come into a covenant relationship, an accountable relationship. There are certain people that should not even suggest they have an accountable relationship because they're not ready, willing for such. There are people that should not be married because these people who are maybe dating, fine, but they're not responsible, willing, ready to engage in a marriage commitment. And so they should be held back to say, don't marry. There are those that said, you know what? You're ready to marry and we want you to enter in. Marry, that's good, you're ready. And you're gonna be blessed because of the marriage. But there are some who are breaking their covenant with their marriages on this earth. And because they have broken that covenant, the spouse has the right to say, no, now you have to exit. And there's what's called divorce. And it is an exit of that relationship that has existed. And there are biblical grounds and not biblical grounds. But there is that exit capability there. Well, it's the same way in the church. There are people who are true followers of Jesus and they're ready to follow and become, you know, true members. And they said, come, you should come in. But there are others that say, you know, you don't yet 
trust in Jesus, you hadn't come to know him yet, come to church, be a part of what we're doing. Let us love you and enjoy you and be with you. But, but don't, don't make the vow of the covenant accountable relationship until you're ready for it. And unfortunately, there are some that come in and because they start saying, I don't know, no longer believe in Jesus. I'm not willing to follow Jesus, whatever it is. They say, okay, it's time for you to be put out. Not to quit coming to church, but the accountable relationship has been broken. And therefore, there needs to be an understanding of where you stand in relationship to the church and its master, the king of kings. Now, what I'm teaching you right now used to be taught all the time. Very little understood today. So we look at this text and the text goes on to say, I say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Well, the question has to come now. All right, we we know what the keys are. It's authority. It does say that whatever you who holds the keys, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, which means to be obligatory. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven means is permissible. Do you know what that's saying? That whatever, whoever you is that holds the keys, when they say something on earth as an authority, it stands as if God said it in the heavenlies. Wow. Next week, we're going to look at an illustration of that. You see it all the time with parents, right? Can you not say to your children? I do not want you to go there tonight. And when they say, I'm going there anyway, because the Bible doesn't say not to. Can you not say it is the will of God? Sure you can. It's the will of God to stay home. Why? Because I said so. And the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents. Why? Because it is a God given accountable authority that's why so in essence whatever the parent binds on earth god binds in heaven whatever that parent loosens on earth god says i'm using my authority the parent it's the role i have given to them so now we have to ask the final question here and that is who is the you that holds the keys to the kingdom. And this is where there's a lot of debate. In fact, there's such a debate that there was what's called a reformation. The reformation began what's called the Protestant church. And it much was over things like this. So the first answer to who you is, is the Pope. Now there's different debate on which is the real Pope. Is it the Rome Pope? Is it the Orthodox Pope? I don't know what you're thinking. No. No, it's none of those. It's none of those. But the Bible seems to say that I say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock, and the word Peter means rock, doesn't it? I will build my church and whatever you, I give to you the keys and whatever you bind and whatever you loose. So why wouldn't the Roman church be right when they say, okay, it's Peter and whoever Peter gives apostolic succession to who he lays his hands on the conveying of authority. When he does that, then they have that authority 
And then they can pass it to the next. And therefore they can say to the church, you mustn't do this, you should do that. And whatever we say is binding because we are the, I'm the authority. The Pope is the authority. I'll tell you why it's not the Pope. Why we would believe this very strong. If you want to go further into this, go on to slash Pope, primer.org slash Pope, and you'll see about a three or four page article that I've written on this that explains it in detail. But here's the basic point. When it says, I say to you that you are Peter, I have to give this credit. That is in the, that is in the singular there. Which makes you think he is talking just to Peter. However, add to that this reality. That in chapter 18 of Matthew that we'll look at next week. The very exact same words are used. And it's a different time. And when he does that, you know what it says? It says you, the same word you, but it is in the plural. Here it's in the singular, there it's in the plural. John chapter 20, the same thing comes up. There it's in the singular. It gives us an understanding that he's talking to the apostles to whom he gave the keys. And when he's talking to them, he's having the conversation initially with Peter. And he's saying, Peter, this is I give to you. But he, when he says to you, he's saying you. And that's why in the other text, it's in the plural. And by the way, when he says, I build upon this rock. The word Peter is the word rock, but it means pebble. It is petros in the Greek language. When he says Peter, petros, I build upon this rock. He uses the word petra, which is the word rock that is used to describe who he is. Christ is the rock. He said, I'm building my church on me, not on you and what you say. He's saying, I give to you. So it's not the Pope. Number two, some say, well, and this is at least not because they see it in scripture, but they just assume, well, I guess I hold the keys as an individual Christian. I think most people I know think they hold the keys in this sense. If I want to deem myself a member, I call myself a member of the church. I act as if I'm a member and I should be treated like a member of the church and as if I'm in an accountable relationship. And if I deem I'm not, then I won't. If I get into trouble, it'll be me to get that, that I'll discipline myself. If I get into trouble, I'll declare for me what's right and what's wrong. No, that's never insinuated anywhere in scripture. I suggest it's number three here, and that is ordained church elders. That's why you see in scripture that he had the apostles to go lay hands. And when the church began, they would go out and they would lay hands on elders, church to church to church. Do you know what that means? That means the conveying of authority. Simply conveying authority. We just recently had a service here that was ordaining elders and deacons. It was an evening gathering. And it was very special. And here we had all these elders and deacons gathered. And then what we did is we laid hands on the new elders and deacons. And the elders particularly, that's a sign of authority for elders. The hands was conveying that is, you have the authority it's now passed on to you. And the understanding of the church is that's the way the church has been built through the ages. Is elders who lay hands on elders who lay hand on elders. And they are the authority of the church. By the way, I tell our, our officers here, elders and deacons. I said, you know, elders, that you hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on this earth. 
then God is saying, I'm putting my stamp of approval on that? Wow. I say to the deacons, do you understand that you've not been given keys, you've been given a towel. And Jesus was the first to use the towel to wash the feet of people. And now here you are with the privilege of carrying the towel of Jesus to the people of this church and trying to care for them. Wow. Pretty special. Authority. It's simply the God-given authority. And that's why it's so important that we understand, even as it's important to understand marriage to a relationship between a man and a woman, it's important to understand an accountable relationship between the Christian and the broader body so that we don't become individuals. We become the part of the body. I'll tell you this, when you start seeing the church as she really is, as I mentioned last week, Cyprian, I think it was, it said, if God is your father, the church is your mother. She becomes so vitally important to you, you see her in a whole different light. And that's my prayer, that every one of us would see the church as she really has been given to us. Not as an institution to go to and attend and get here and do that, but to say it's an accountable relationship to whom I submit. Look at this one last verse. It's found in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Isn't that interesting? Why? For they watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Who are the leaders? They're the elders of the church. What do we do? We submit to them. Now that is a marriage relationship. That's an accountable relationship. And that's what's going to keep us from individualism. And that's going to keep us healthy as Christians. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we bow to say thank you for your church and how important she is. As we move next week into the implications I pray that you would help us to understand these implications and what it means if I am under the authority of your church. And I pray as a result of all of this that our lives are going to be more like you and that we are going to bless you in a bigger way. So grant our view of your church to be higher than ever. Grant it for the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. Now we turn our attention to your church and you. And let's begin with you. That is, how do we develop a life and family plan that is going to take us where we want to go in life? We agreed last week, I think we would all agree that if a business plan is so vital to business that we should assume that a life plan would be equally important for the life or a family plan to the family. Suggesting that there are just a handful of questions you answer and you have a plan. I want to help equip you in how to do that. And therefore, I've given you materials that I've prepared that will help you understand that life plan. Invite you to make sure you pick one up if you haven't already. Again, all this available on Perimeter.org slash Pope. Last week, we said the first question has to do with the question of purpose. Why? do I exist? Why do we as a family exist? You answer that question, you have your purpose. 
suggested last week that it's vitally, vitally, vitally important to get this one right. In fact, nothing more important than this one. Because if you get off course on this one, the rest, give it up. Until the purpose of life in some way reflects the ideal of glorifying God and enjoying him, as the Westminster divines have written, I don't think we have the right life purpose. And so you might just all choose that to be your life purpose. That's what I've done. I want to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I don't want that just to be a statement. I want it to be a reality. But I realize that the plan that I put together is going to press me toward that reality. More and more and more. Last week I suggested from Philippians chapter 1 that if you get an eternal life perspective to glorify God, to enjoy him. It is going to determine the way you view your life problems and the way you're going to make your life decisions. Both vitally important. If you have this life purpose, I just want to enjoy life. I want to be happy. Then what do we do? We say, well, what makes me happy? Well, I'll tell you what makes me happy. What makes me happy is having good health. What makes me happy is having great achievements. What makes me happy is having the relationships that I choose to have. That's what will make me happy. And then we begin to see, uh oh, I got a problem because my worldview says that God is a sovereign God. He decrees what is, uh oh, then all these things are happening that are taking away my happiness. I can't be happy now. It's not my fault. It's, it's what God's doing. It's what he's allowing. It's what he's doing. I don't understand it, but I know this. I'm not happy now. As opposed to the apostle Paul, who's in prison and he is rejoicing, writing a book on joy, the book of Philippians, while he's in prison, because he says, I praise God literally for having me here because I know that God's name is being exalted. And that's what I'm all about by simply being in prison. We talked about our many different prisons. We talked about how life decisions are so impacted. The Paul says, I, I want to go out and, and die. I mean, I can do it easily. Go back to Jerusalem. They'll stone me right now. But I'm going to make a decision to do something other than what I want to do because I know it's more glorifying to you. So we go off to college. We say, okay, am I going to get involved in this or that? Well, this will be more fun, but this would be more spiritually beneficial in the use of my time, or I could go with this, these people and make them my friends and they're fun, but you know, they're, they're not very moral and they're a bad influence. But over here, these people are not quite as much fun, but oh my goodness, what a great influence they are. What quality life they have. Hmm. What will I do? Well, you go back to life purpose. What is your purpose? So purpose drives and dictates everything. Now we want to move to what is called the life vision. Some people use the word mission instead of vision. I like the word vision here, but use whatever. Vision actually says, what am I trying to accomplish? You just simply answer that question. What am I trying to accomplish? If you go to page number five in your book, you're going to find here uh, one page. It has a, I think it tells you about everything you need to know. What I'm going to say here should add enough. And then you can simply find a space there and start writing. But I'm going to give you, I think it's page six. Maybe it's page six. I'm going to give you three suggestions in developing your life vision. Step number one, write down 
your roles. Write down your roles. Let me explain. Your life roles. Okay, in life, what roles do you have? Are you a follower of Jesus? There's your role in life. Are you a husband or a wife? There's a role. Are you a father, a mother? There's a role. Are you an employee or an employer? There's a role. Are you a student? There's a role. Are you a churchman or a churchwoman? Uh, if you come into membership of the church, there is a role as an ambassador. There are all kinds of roles that you could put in life. Sit down and figure out what they are. Just write a, write a list. It won't take you just a minute to do that. So there's step one. Step two is a little bit more complex. Step two, I suggest, get you at least a half an hour alone this week at some point in time and use it to think. Now, that's something new, isn't it? Thinking. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I never understood. As a kid, I remember, I, I remember walking in to my father who was sitting in the living area. I had a question I needed to ask him, something to talk about. I don't remember what it was. But I walk in the room very hurriedly and I say, hey, dad. And all I see him is do this to me. He puts his hand up. He looks over and he says, is this an emergency or very important? If so, I'll, I'll drop what I'm doing. But is this important? I said, well, not really. He said, could you come back in about an hour? I said, well, yeah, but can I ask you a question? What are you doing? And he looked at me and he said, I'm thinking. I walked away going, I've never thought in my lifetime. <laughs> what do you do when you think? I mean, yeah, you read, you sit down and you have a book, you read. But what do you do when you sit there? You think, I mean, what do you think about? How do you do it? And so forth. Only years later to be trained up in the exercise of thinking and so grateful for it. This church was birthed out of that exercise where you sit alone and you say, God, I'm in your presence now. Maybe you have a pad in your lap, a pencil or pen. And you say, God, I'm just going to think in your presence. I'm going to think about myself or you or whatever it is that I, I began to realize I need to think about that would maybe be helpful for me to give some time to. In this case, it's your life. How honoring to the Lord is that? And you say, Lord, I'm just going to sit here for a half an hour or so and I want to think. I want to think about what you would have for me to be a vision for my life. And I'm not going to believe that every thought that I have and everything I write down is going to be a voice from you, God. It's certainly not infallible. But I think that as I'm in your presence and inviting your, your promptings and so forth, that some of the things that I'm going to write down may well be that which you want me to have as a description of my life. And so I'm going to invite you to to put thoughts in my mind right now, and I'm going to write down some of them, and I'm going to live with them for a week or so until I can pretty much forge a vision for my life. What you do during that time is you look for words that would maybe best describe each of those roles. So I lay out each role, 
And then I put a word or two, something very simple that would describe that role as I would like to see what would be accomplished in that role. Let me give you mine as an illustration. I had several roles. One role is a follower of Jesus. The other next came husband and father, important roles for me. Then I'm a pastor and I'm a church member. And I hope you'll include that role as member. Particularly, I think as this next five weeks are developed out, you'll begin to see why it's so important. But, but here becomes my vision. So I have those roles. Now I say, okay, how would I describe one or two words? What, what could I say would, would help me understand where it is that I want to go, what I want to accomplish as a follower? And the word that came to me was mature. I said, that's a word that I've used through the years, mature. When it came to husband and father, I said, maybe just be godly. To reflect God-likeness, that would, be a, that would be an accomplishment that I would love at the end of my life to be able to say that that, for the most part, most of the time was true of me. And then I said, okay, I'm a pastor. I'm a part of a fellowship called Perimeter. What do I want to describe my role there? And I said, well, I think faithful is the word that I choose. So all you do is you put your roles and then you put down a descriptive word or two and then you blend it in. And then the third thing, you write a statement. You simply write it out and say, here is my vision. Live with it a while. Look over it. It can change at any time. Every year, I relook at my entire life plan, relook at it, think about it, what needs to be changed. This is not changing much now. It's pretty much there. But now when it comes down to the mission that's going to describe how this is going to happen, that's far more complex. We're going to spend a couple of weeks probably on that. Because that becomes a lot bigger task. This fairly simple, but I encourage you to start with this. I'm going to invite you, if you will, to take down this number. This is a text number that I will get. It's not my personal text, but it's one that I will pick up and get to see what you are coming up with. If you will put your name, that's fine. If you don't want to put your name, that's all right as well. But the number is 678-835-8398. Or you can use the last four digits text. I'll remind you the number if you need it. But I would love to see a lot of these coming in where I could see what your life visions are. And I'm going to put up a few of them next week. And if you would prefer your name not to be put up, you know, on it, then put, please don't use my name. That'll be fine. But maybe you don't even mind. It doesn't matter. But I'd love to show some of these next week and just see how we're doing. All right. And I'll give some feedback as to the process as we go. Okay, so now I have instructed you in the first portion of the mini message, trying to heighten your view of the church. Now I've spent a few minutes taking another step in equipping, getting you prepared in your life plan. Now I'd like to just address for a few minutes your church and enlighten your understanding to that end. If you have your ministry plan, this would be good to pull it out. Your ministry plan. You can get them at the doors as you leave as well. Get it on uh, perimeter.org slash pope. But look at our vision as a church now. Now we look at the church. We have a vision. It's to make and deploy mature and equipped followers of Christ for the sake of family, community, and global transformation. It's interesting that word deploy, it was not in there a year or two ago. And we've had a, a, a vision statement for this church for many, many years. We've been working off of this. But even a couple of years ago, some of the leadership came and said, 
Don't you think we're missing something when we're not identifying the high role and, and task of deploying people out of this church? Because that's the way we're living it. Don't we want to say that's what? And we said, yeah, let's add that. So it's to make and deploy where we live, work, and play what? Well, mature and equipped followers of Christ. Now, when you look at this, notice it starts with equipped followers. We feel that the church corporately together as a family should focus our attention, not just the leadership down, but our attention ought to be focused on the individual. But it doesn't stop there. It then goes to the next level, and that is to the family. We believe the family is so vitally important that we've got to focus our utmost attention on the family. Starting about 20 years ago or so, I forget, 15, 20, 15 years ago, we said we didn't have community in our picture. And we said, let's add community. So we said, our job is to wherever we live, work, and play. If we live there, that's our community. Then we need to be thinking, how do we change the community in which we live? And then early on, we had the idea that we wanted to be a church that would be thinking of those with great needs even beyond our borders, greater needs than we have. So global transformation. That word transformation, vitally important. That's what we're after, seeing transformation. Now, it was, I don't know, 25 years ago that I was away. Some of you heard this story. I was away having my thinking time. And I'll spend a week where I'm primarily thinking. I spend hours and hours and hours with a pad in my lap and a pencil in my hand. And I say, God, meet with me today, tonight, whatever, and, and give me ideas here that would be your ideas. And I was doing this little exercise and I was thinking about perimeter church and just trying to do an evaluation of where we were. And I had this deep gut feeling that something was just not right. I couldn't put my finger on it. And so I, I, I'm sitting there in prayer and, and, it, and it just hits me. As I see this picture, I imagine myself with a, as an archer who takes a bow and arrow and pulls the string and just lets it fly randomly. And it hits the wall of the room in which I'm sitting. And then imagining myself taking a, a marker and going up to that wall and taking where that arrow has hit and very perfectly around it drawing a big circle that I'll call the target. And then stepping back, looking at it, and then starting to celebrate and say, way to go. Look what you've done. You hit the target right in the middle. That was so good. You'd say, that's foolishness. Well, sure it is. If you shoot the arrow before you determine the target, that's meaningless. But you know, we have a, a culture today in church that applauds the distance of the arrow perhaps more than the direction of it. And I realized that we were being applauded because of how far we were shooting our arrows. We were not being applauded for the particular target because we hadn't even identified the target. We didn't even have a ministry plan. We're just operating as a church. And I realized that there were other churches, they're being celebrated a whole lot more because they know how to shoot an arrow further than we could shoot arrows. And there were churches that weren't being celebrated because they couldn't shoot arrows very far at all. And I say, what in the world is that? What difference does that make? And so I came back to the leadership and they said, you're right. We need to figure out what the target is. Well, I'd figured out the target. 
because I spent the rest of that week just contemplating what it is. And I came to this idea of mature and equipped follower, wrote a definition of it that we have tweaked as a leadership many, many times. Until now, we really like what we have, and it can be found on perimeter.org slash pope. You'll see that there in those resources. But it's a target. And that's what our goal is, is we say we want to make and deploy mature and equipped followers. We know what a mature and equipped follower is, and, and we can identify, are we taking people there or are we not? Became vitally important. Once we understood that picture, we said, how do you do it? And that's where there was a learning curve. And I went out on a, a I don't know how many month exploration trying to figure out how do you make mature and equipped followers of Christ? And we came to grips with the answer to that question We said, this is what we want to be all about. But there's a reason why we want mature and equipped followers of Christ. For the sake of the family, the community, and the world. And that's your church's vision. And I hope you'll learn it. I hope you'll embrace it. I hope you'll love it. I hope you'll work toward making that everything we've described it to be. Now, next week, you're going to move along. After this week, next week, I'm going to be talking about the, the mission. It's going to be a much more complex. It's going to be uh, covering the next pages. I think it's uh, 7 through 11 or so, 6, 7 through 11. Um, you might want to look ahead because this is a fairly brief exercise, what we're doing this week. Next week's going to be pretty tough, and I'm going to give us a couple of weeks on it. But you may want to kind of study ahead, read ahead a little bit. Be happy for you to do that, okay? But I hope you will be working on this. Let me conclude with these words. As vital as I am convinced that a high view of the church is, a life plan is, or even a healthy church, and I believe they are all very, very vital. Each of these need to be understood as only resources. They are resources for those who have a transformed life. Transformation is big in our thinking around here. And so if that be the case, if it's, there's resources that are only for a transformed life, we've got to make sure we understand what a transformed life is. A transformed life is someone who has gone to the cross of Jesus Christ and has seen the work that Christ did there on behalf of humanity, people who are separated because of their sin from a holy God. And upon seeing the work on the cross, fall in love with Jesus and have an experience where his whole spirit, we call it the Holy Spirit, comes into our lives and resides with us forever. That's a transformed life. May not be living in the power of that spirit day to day or not very well, But one who truly is in love with Jesus and understands it's not what I do for you. It's what you do for me. And I want to follow you. And it is my attempt to follow you. Here's the problem, though. Our greatest willpower and attempt will not get us following to maturity and equipping as we need. We have to have resources. And that's where these three resources come in. You say, okay, now I get a high view of the church. And I see her for who she is. And there's an accountable relationship there. And then I add to that a a life plan and family plan. And then I see the expression of this local church and who she is and what she's all about. And those become vital resources. Can you imagine having, having a car and you have all the resources, whether it be the battery, whether it be the, the gasoline, whatever the resources are, and you give it all the resources, but it has no engine. You go, can't go anywhere. 
You say, well, the, the engine is vital to the vehicle. You've got to have the engine. In this case, we have to have a transformed life. But let me tell you, it does not lessen the importance of the resources of gasoline and having the, the battery or whatever it is that are the resources. They are critically important as well. And my prayer is that you as a congregation and us as a church, that what we're going to do is we're going to take seriously enough a 30-minute segment of life this week and sit alone with God, maybe for the first time in this way, and say, I want to think for a half an hour. And I want to write about the vision that you would have for me, Lord. And that there's going to begin a birthing process of a vision that's going to be yours and yours and yours, all of our vision. It'll be uniquely ours. It'll be something that will become a place to look at every, every day of our life. It'll become part of your prayer time to say, Lord, this is my life. This is what I'm about. Let me accomplish the vision that you've given for me. As such, you're going to be an ambassador. You're going to go into the world. And you're not going to be just a consumer in church. You're going to be one that's deployed where you live, work, and play. Bring transformation to your family, to your community, to the world at large. That's my prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would grant that we would be able to be a church full of people who are passionate about a vision that you have given to us. And I pray that that vision would take us to new destinies that we've never known. I particularly pray for our young people here, our junior high, high school, college kids that are here. I pray that they might have a vision of life that so outstrips all of their peers who are so into just happiness and they would see something so uniquely different, the way time is spent, the way problems are viewed, everything else, that they would come flocking into your kingdom because of what's happening. So grant that, we pray. Cause us to go to the cross, to meet you if we never have, to see you afresh if we already have, and to understand your power that indwells us. Grant it for the sake of you and your kingdom. We pray in the name of our master, Jesus. Amen. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.